Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I talked to Lisa Roberts, who's the CMO of Yonder. Yonder works to untangle conversations of highly influential online groups so companies can find and create more advocates while protecting their brand. On the show today, we talk about her long history in Texas, and then we move into Yonder and what Yonder is about, how they were born out of helping to understand ISIS and ISIL and the various um, factions, if you will, of propaganda and messaging that was being delivered across all kinds of internet communication and how that applies to recent waves of communication that we've seen related to coronavirus and even the more recent protests for racial equality. And we'll talk about the implications to brands and marketers and um, what Lisa sees as the things that we really need to be thinking about and watching out for. And then, of course, we get into a lot more fun conversations about her and uh, purchase that she's made under $100, which you do not want to miss. And uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Lisa Roberts. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to the conversation. But before we get into the real nitty gritty business, I noticed it seems like you've been in Texas for a really long time. Did you grow up there? Yeah, 
I'm born and raised in Texas. I've lived in a number of places around Texas. I grew up in, in West Texas, which is probably more typical of what people picture. You know, ranches, It's there's a lot of rice grown out there, a lot of maize, <laughs> things like that. Friends with ranches and, and all that kind of stuff like that. But a really sweet town called San Angelo in West Texas. And then my father moved to Austin when I was five. So I started spending summers and holidays here in Austin and really fell in love with it. He's a big music fan. I've grown up now to be a big music fan. And then along the way, spent two years in San Antonio. So yeah, I've, I've kind of seen it all. And then my husband is from Corpus Christi, which is on the coast. So we pretty much have the whole state covered ever, other than like the panhandle. <laughs> yeah, you've got you you've definitely covered the whole state. And that for we have listeners frankly all around the world. Um and for those that are listening that don't know about Texas, it's not even part of the United States. It's its own country. At least they think it is. Is that right, Lisa? I think most of the state does. You know, Austin and and even now Houston is starting to to evolve it a little bit. I think Austin feels a little more worldly. I guess, and maybe a part of the world. But yeah, Texas, you know, has a lot of independence, a lot of pride in, in independence. Yeah, for sure. And everything's bigger in Texas, uh, literally. So yeah, <laughs> it is. But you know, we get we get a lot of diversity. You know, I mean, I grew up in West Texas, and you have the desert. And now I live in Central Texas. And we have rivers and rolling hills and small little mountains. And you know, my husband grew up on the coast where he grew up fishing redfish in the flats. And We've kind of got it all, but just please don't move to Austin. Don't move here. The traffic is really bad. Come for South by Southwest and enjoy it. And then just don't move go here. Home. Yeah, go, go home. home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I hear you. It's a very fast growing area. And the hills that you described to the west of Austin, or I guess Northwest or whatever, they are beautiful. I spent a little time there. Yeah. Well, let's talk about business. What is, you're the CMO at Yonder. What is Yonder? Yeah, Yonder, we're an AI SaaS software company, like a lot of companies in Austin. This is our tech hub of the state. What we do, we, we help untangle the mess of online conversations and then try to diagnose how these hyperactive online communities, we call them factions, are spreading ideas and influencing public opinion across all the online social channels, which in a time like this, the past six months has been a very interesting job. And you know, our goal is, is to help brands, for the most part, really authentically understand their market, knowing both their advocates and their allies, and then being able to plan how to strategize with each. And for us, this, this really starts with looking at intelligence from the vantage point of how the internet works today, which is for us is it's centered around factions. So these hyperactive, passionate, and highly aligned online groups that really have an inordinate amount of control over what narratives make it into the mainstream. And you know, if you can understand how ideas originate and take hold online, you can understand the groups and motivation behind those ideas. And I think right now for brands, consumers, and I mean, just people, everyday people, that's a really hard thing to understand, especially with the social web. So it's, it's fascinating work. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it is just as a consumer. I mean, I'm a, both a marketer and a consumer of the web and the social media in particular. And there's a lot. You get so many requests a day for to join your network or to follow you, and you you look at them. A lot of them, not all of them. You know, some of them you can tell are real people, but a lot you're like, is this a real person? And I'd love to get into into that in a moment. Like, how does this all break down and, and where are the social conversations going? But before we do that, I'd love to understand how the company got started. How did they get into this business of uh, of learning about factions, if you will? Yeah, yeah. It's um, Factions are a new word for more of the business community, but for more of uh, the government community, government agencies and things like that, Faction is a pretty common term. And the founders of our business, that's more of sort of the professional world that they came out of. So it was founded by our CEO and data scientists that were um, helping track the State Department, understand recruitment and radicalization of ISIS and ISIL on Twitter. (laughs) So they were commissioned uh, by the U.S. government to deliver a Senate Intelligence Committee report that was informing on the actions of the foreign interference in the 2016 presidential election. So again, fascinating work. But in doing that, our founders saw that similar tactics used by ISIS and ISIL to drive, you know, spread of their ideology, spread of their narratives to influence people. It's similar tactics that are being driven on the social web to affect brands. So it seems like a little bit of a crazy leap, but the work translates fairly directly to the consumer market. Yeah, for sure. No, it may, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you've got all of these use a, maybe a technical term. I don't know if it is or not. It'll just use a term agents out there, right? In the in the universe, some are some are human agents, and others are machine agents, and uh, and they're interacting with each other. So it makes sense that you could use the same algorithm, so to speak, or you know, analysis to to understand how they interact with each other. So it's fascinating. Yeah. And a lot of times humans using non-human agents. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. We oddly related, but very different application is, um, you know, what's going on in like the ad fraud space with uh, bot detection on websites and things like that too. But yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. Well, if we think about what's going on in social conversations and I mean, <laughs> I don't want to make light of it, but it it feels like every week brings its next the next wave of conversation, and it's just accelerated this year in 2020. But if I'm a marketer, how do I think about breaking that down? Like, who are the components that are interacting <laughs> out there? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't it feel good to think about breaking that down to something simple? Yeah, I, I would hope. I hope you can solve all our social media <laughs> problems today. <laughs> Not going to happen, but you know, it, I think we can. We like to think we bring a little bit of, of deeper understanding to it. So, you know, the way that we look at we look at the internet as a school of fish. So there's this in group signaling, use of language, and sort of ideological distance between groups that point us to potential virality and trajectory of of online influence. So. Basically, people are kind of moving in schools online, and this is where, you know, kind of demographics fall apart, right? Like they're not moving and doing things just because they live in an area. They're signaling to each other beliefs, interests, passions based on language, imagery, hashtags, comments, all sorts of things. So that's what's kind of moving these schools along. 
And there is generally a conversation or a narrative originator that has the ability to influence messaging into what we call amplifier factions. So you have like originator factions that then have connections or have the ear of what we call amplifier factions. So these are our factions that likely have influence with mainstream media. And so a, you know, a message will come from one of these originators, usually hyper-passionate, deep, goes very deep on one topic. They move that to an amplifier faction. An amplifier faction then generally has the ability to amplify that into the mainstream. So they may be able to seed messages with top-tier media or with top-tier influencers, things like that. And so generally, you can look at a narrative that has made it to the mainstream and trace it back to the originator of that narrative and see how it traveled. And we, you know, we see a lot of the same things over and over again. And so we try to break the internet down into, we call them like slices of the internet. So like our, our company isn't looking at, we're not looking at big, huge macro policies or big, huge macro topics. Like we're not usually looking at coronavirus. We are usually trying to break down and understand coronavirus narratives related to face masks or coronavirus narratives related to hand washing or social distancing. So we kind of break it into these slices to then try and understand where the narrative is coming from in relation to that topic. And generally, you know, we're looking at topics that align with the beliefs or values of our clients or align with topics that are meaningful to their business and trying to understand who are the originators, who are the amplifiers that are most heavily influencing those narratives and conversations that they care most about. And what's really interesting, so generally for a conversation to go, especially from the more fringe groups, for a conversation to go from those fringe groups to the mainstream, generally we see it take about six to eight months. Since the beginning of this year, really call it February-ish when the pandemic really started playing a, a you know bigger place in all of our lives, we've seen that go, happen 10x faster. So it's happening in days rather than months. Wow. that's <laughs> I was surprised by the six to eight months, but I'm not surprised by the acceleration given the scope of everything that's going on. But generally speaking, like if I'm thinking about a brand, like six to eight months is still relatively, I mean, like for social media, that's a long time. So that's interesting that it, a conversation thread can stay out there that long. But yeah. Well, for us, it's, it's more about measuring the belief or message that you're trying to instill. And sometimes that takes a while. Yeah, it makes sense. You kind of have to old school terms, but you have to seed the market, <laughs> build the message, uh, you know, burn it in or whatever the right term is, and then uh, and, and then see where it goes. But yeah, that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah, I think they're overwhelmed with messages right now during all of this, and I think everyone is hyperactive. I think everybody. You know, the other day, I was saying I, I think emotions are at like DefCon five. <laughs> Right now. And so I think people are just much more willing to react to something and spread things much more quickly. So we actually have seen when you're seeing those messages spread, especially from fringe groups that quickly, it does mean that the total amount of misinformation making it into the market 
is a higher percentage right now. And just as consumers, we all just need to take a breath before you hit share or like or retweet or you know, whatever it is that you're doing and, and just think for a moment about where that message is coming from. Yeah, good advice for anybody, any human out there. <laughs> you know, you mentioned COVID-19 and I'm pretty sure you mentioned that you've dug into the Costco face mask policy and the guidelines in that online conversation. Just using that as an example, like what, what did you guys find as you dug into that? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, Costco is just one example, but I mean, you know, it's it's nice to have examples <laughs> that that bring some reality to situations. But I mean, what we saw with them, we saw with so many, especially of our essential businesses, so grocery stores, drug stores, food providers, you know, doing delivery and all of those businesses. But it was just the chain of events was just so clear and definitive with Costco. You know, really, the the Costco example, what it exemplifies is. With coronavirus, we are in, I don't know, maybe the like a third of the way through this craziness that's likely to kind of stretch into, you know, latter part end of 2021. We're through this, it's a journey, is the way that we think about it, where, you know, we had to go down into lockdown and there's policies and guidelines put in at state, national, state, local, and everybody's scrambling to try and figure out like, okay, how do we respond to this? And then we kind of went into, okay. We're in lockdown. Now we have to figure out how to function within lockdown. And then now we're kind of into this, okay, we're going to come out and peek out a little bit. And it's kind of this like, okay, well, how are we going to keep people healthy? How are we going to keep people safe as we do this? And it's going to be this sort of wave of things happening, policies, guidelines, procedures getting set, and brands have no choice, especially these essential businesses. And now it's going beyond that, have no choice but to respond. And the guidelines aren't super clear. So bless all of us. <laughs> Gotta really sound like a Texan. Bless our hearts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bless exactly. our little hearts. But bless all of us for trying to figure out how to react. Because what is going to happen is, you know, businesses like Costco, where people are going to be coming in, they have to say, am I going to tightly adhere to that guideline? Or am I going to be loose on this guideline? And whenever it come, came to face masks, they chose to go to more tight adherence to it and say, you, if you're coming into the store, you have to wear a face mask and all of our employees will be wearing them. Well, it set off an immediate chain of events that is just very typical of what every brand is going to have to go through. And you saw more left-leaning factions, which is, this was a group of 20 factions that are all slightly different in their passions and whatnot, but they do have, they are ideologically aligned around feeling like face mask policies are good and protective. And you saw that come out. You saw an immediately, an immediate trend around, thank you, Costco, for protecting me, protecting my family. And at the same time, and it actually happened more quickly you saw more right-leaning factions come out and start saying hashtag boycott Costco. And this is, it's just a reality that every brand is going to have to go through right now, whether it is the policy around face masks or policies that may eventually be coming around. How do you help with contact tracing? I mean, oh my gosh, you want to talk about how controversial and strong the opinions are going to be on that. Are you going to offer free vaccinations to your employees whenever we start getting to that point? So it's just this sort of series of policies and guidelines that come with what's going on in the world 
where these brands are having to choose out of the gate by what I do, what I say in response to these things that are happening, I'm going to have people who applaud me very loudly and I'm going to have people who are going to boo me very loudly. You know, and the best thing you can do is just know which one you care most about. Right, right. Well, and I'm assuming too that all factions are not created equal, meaning like some the message is loud and others maybe travels far, but I don't I don't know if that's the right way to think about it. That is a hundred percent the right way. We actually see that the our data has shown that 10% of factions control 70% of the online narrative that's more ideologically driven. So related to a policy related to a value, of course, related politically. And those are generally those ones that are going to be originators and or sort of the loudest voices in the amplifier factions. Those are the biggest influencers. Got it. Got it. Okay. So we've moved from, well, coronavirus is still around. I don't want to give the wrong impression. Uh, It will be around for a while, but we, you know, the most recent uprising, if you will, is around racial equity and the hashtag Black Lives Matter as well. And the protests that are going on all around the world. Have you seen similar things that you described around coronavirus with, with the protest as well? Yeah. I mean, you know, similarly with both of them, it's, well, I guess the difference is with coronavirus, brands have not been given a choice but to say something or most brands because it's been interesting. So much of marketing's role has turned into communicating how to work with our business rather than marketing and advertising and things like that. It's turned into this is how you can buy from us. This is how we're going to deliver to you. Listening to the the CMO of Walgreens a couple weeks ago my gosh, you know, helping people who've never used a mobile app figure out how to use a mobile app so you can submit your prescriptions and and understand how to pay for them and go pick them up. Explaining to people how to come through the parking lot to transact rather than going into the store. So the, the comms were much more around, you know, there was some, here's how we're keeping your sa- you safe. Here's how we're keeping our employees safe became some of the marketing messaging. But a lot of times they had to say something just to explain this is how we're doing business. With Black Lives Matter and the whole movement around that and, and the protests, it's been more about, do I say anything? And if I say something, what do I say and how do I say it? Because if you, we do these things called network graphs and basically around a certain conversation, we graph out all the factions and those that are clustered more closely together and have darker lines between them. It means that they're more ideologically aligned and it means that they're more active between one another. And if you look at the coronavirus face mask conversation, for instance, sure, you have left and right, but you have some factions that kind of sit in between and you have your kind of little island outliers and it's a little more spread apart, which means opinions, thinking was a bit more diverse and there wasn't this hard, clean, kind of gnarly line between more left and right leaning. And when we look at that for Black Lives Matter, the activity is intense. Right leaning and left leaning is tightly clustered together there are very few outliers and the activity is just intense between them. And, you know, for a brand, that's some scary stuff. And I think it's just put brands in 
a place where you have to make some hard decisions about do we have beliefs that we believe in that we have, you know, which is a little strange thing to say, but I guess how much do we believe in our values that we've put forth? How good of a job have we been doing? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Doing, living up to those values. And are we going to say something? And if we are, how are we going to say it? Because again, it's like the Costco example on steroids, but there is a 100% chance that there are going to be people who have so much backlash for what we say. And then there's a 100% chance that depending on how we say what we say, there's going to be a group that stands up and applauds. Well, and it's made more difficult, I think. Well, to your point about the differences between the coronavirus and the protest and the racial equity movement. With coronavirus, I guess you're still going to get pushback, but you can always lean on more hard protocols, right? Science-based protocols. The governor said to do this. The science is saying doing that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And it was Black Lives Matter. You made a great point, which is it's also about like how you say it. And, you know, this notion of like saying something and your actions match what you're saying. That's a critical one to ask yourself before you even decide to say anything at all. But like how to say it is, I think, made even more complicated because of, frankly, I mean, those voices aren't represented well in the rooms where we're deciding what to say. (laughs) So the increase for mistakes and missteps, uh, it just is accelerated quite a bit. Yeah. And I mean, you know, some of the first voices out there, you know, the the Nikes and the Adidas of the world and putting out amazing messages and, you know, some of the immediate response was, this is a beautiful ad and these are beautiful words, but we're looking at your leadership page and we don't see you living up to these words. And, you know, I think some brands are saying we're going to come out and say it because we want to come out and say it immediately. And we know we're going to get backlash and we're ready for it and we're going to take it. And the next message we're going to come out with is what we're doing to get better. But yeah, this is as a time where brands have to be thinking about their actions as much as their words. Yeah. Well, if we if we step back from... From these two, because they're they are definitely tricky, and I don't think we're not going to solve it today in terms of giving giving the marketers listening it. Well, and there's no playbook. I was on a, a, a roundtable with a number of just amazing marketing leaders at amazing companies and organizations that I respect so much, and you know, 
quarter of our conversation was about we're we're rewriting playbooks right now. There is no playbook for what we're going through right now. Yeah, no, it's very true. So as you guys are, you know, working with marketers and other companies and brands, like what are the implications or the advice that you're giving them in terms of like, you know, okay, we can start to understand factions. How do I, how do I use that? Maybe even... I hate to say it, but it's true, right? Like, how, how do I use it to my advantage? It's, you know, how do I capitalize on the momentum that, it, you know, I could get a stronger message out there or awareness or something of that nature? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's two ways. I mean, you can look at factions as an opportunity to find your advocates and your allies. And like you said, capitalize on that. But also enemies is a little bit of a strong word. Right. Detractors, maybe. Detractors. Detractors. You know, identifying people who are not ideologically aligned with what you're about to say or or what you're already saying or doing. So just understanding that is powerful. So as it pertains to, you know, your detractors or, or those you might not be ideologically aligned with, just like I was saying, you know, being able to being able to understand when conversations are starting to pop up especially with fringe or conspiratorial and or factions that you just know generally aren't aligned with what you're saying or doing. If you know which of those to look at and watch, and you can see when activity is happening within those factions in relation to your brand and or topics you care about, there it's basically your canaries in the cold mine that a narrative is about to pop up or has the potential to predictively pop up that is going to impact your brand, which, I mean, the power there is not getting caught on your heels. We, through working with the brands we've worked with, we always say what we hear from them is it feels like being sideswiped by the internet, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's where someone else gets to own the frame around the narrative that you care about and you're immediately on your heels trying to fight your way back. So from sort of a brand reputation perspective, that's incredibly powerful just to have that clarity and that signal before you're having to react. And you know, it may actually save you time from spinning your wheels on something that you actually don't need to react to. You know, knowing that a narrative is cropping up and being able to identify, like go back to the beginning of our conversation, that that is a group that tends to use misinformation tactics, be it bots or babies or any of these other, we, we could do a whole separate podcast on tactics, misinformation tactics that are used by factions online. But if you can start to see that that's happening, it might be an opportunity to say this narrative is popping up, but you know what? This is being highly manipulated within groups that we think it's, you know, they're going to amplify to groups that really don't have that much of an impact on the factions we care about. We're going to actually just let this play out. We're going to watch it, but we're not going to spin off a bunch of work. But on the, you know, identifying your advocates and allies, this is your opportunity to find those factions that are ideologically aligned with you and to understand them at a level below. These are the hashtags they use, or these are the the posts that they're associated with. This is your opportunity to understand what are they passionate about? What are the words they use? What's the language they use about those passions? What's the imagery? 
that they tend to create and or respond to? Who are factions that they're highly connected with? So what are the, who are sort of the influencers that can go and influence other influencers? So in that, from that perspective, factions become very powerful from a comms perspective, from understanding your audience at a deeper level, or maybe identifying new audiences, developing messaging and creative then to those audiences. Right. I'm imagining you can use that as leverage as well to when you do want to engage, uh, if there's misinformation or something like that out there, you can use that to your advantage to help seed your own you know, counter narrative, if you will. Yep. Yeah, I know. Man, being a comms person these days. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it really si- is hard. I'm sitting here thinking like, I do not want to go be a social media director or manager. <laughs> like this seems like a, a hornet's nest waiting to sting. Yeah. Me. Well, and it's, it's, you know, it's these days it's well beyond social media. That's true. Yeah, no, it's true. Cause, it, cause you, to your point about amplification that you've seen main street or mainstream media amplify some of these narratives and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a holistic communication challenge. Yeah. I mean, social media, PR, comm strategy, brand strategy. What's the strategy around your CEO? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to go political, but it could apply to our president as well. But yeah. Well, look at what's happening with anything going on with Black Lives Matter around the NFL and some of the teams within it. I mean, you know, whole teams are getting called out because of who the owner of that team is known, uh, political campaigns that they're known to have donated to. And so anything, you know, the message that they're putting out that probably the vast majority of that organization believes wholeheartedly in is getting called out and shunned. And they're getting backlash over because of what an executive has done that's it's antithetical to the message that they're putting out as a brand. And so thinking about a brand and thinking about positioning is so holistic right now. Yeah, no, it's very true. It's very true. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'd love to switch gears if you're okay with that and talk a little bit about you. And uh, listeners will know that I love asking this question, which is, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah, I lived in all those cities. I went to three high schools. I went to two colleges. Like I've seen a lot and done a lot. I mean, I think maybe, you know, our, our parents and our childhood are all the things that have shaped us. And I had incredibly entrepreneurial parents. So I think just watching them be bold, watching them start businesses, I watched each of them go bankrupt. And then I watched each of them sort of, you know, rise like a phoenix (laughs) (laughs) out of those ashes to build their next thing that was highly successful. I think has had a lot to do with me working as uh, at as many startups as I have. And just kind of influencing the way I live my life. And that's probably part of why I, you know, I graduated from college. I'd never had been to New York. I knew I wanted to work in advertising. Just told my dad, I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to go work on Madison Avenue. And that's what I'm going to do, dad. And my dad being the entrepreneur that he was and, and is said, all right, honey, we were not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. He said, here's a month's worth of money. And go for it and good luck. And, you know, if you don't have a job by the end of the month, you always have a, a bed here. <laughs> and 
And so I moved to New York, had two offers for jobs on Madison Avenue within three weeks of moving there. I, I did have a place to live. I had a friend that was letting me sleep on her futon. And, you know, did that for six months. It was awful. I gave my notice at six months and one day Madison Avenue was not my gig. And I ended up at a startup. It was one of the first online only media and advertising agencies in the world. It was called the iTraffic. It was down in Silicon Alley. This was in 98 and ended up there. And that was it. Like I was going to work in technology startups for the rest of my life. And, you know, I love working <laughs> hour days. <laughs> it's in your it's, veins. It's in your yeah, veins. Ambiguity abound, but you know, it was the hardest two, you know, year and a half, two years. I made it there about a year and a half, two years, and then moved back to Austin. But it was some of the hardest two years of my life. I had to coat check on Thursday night and Saturday night. So I had enough money to stay at my job that I was passionate about and pay my bills, but I wouldn't trade any of it. It was awesome. That's awesome. Well, what advice would you give your younger self if you're starting all over again? <laughs> Man, I wouldn't take back a lot a lot of things that I did. All the, I would keep every mistake that I made. I think just as a person, I would tell my younger self, like, you're just not as, gosh, pardon my French, you're not as badass as you think that, that you are. Just keep your mouth shut and listen so much more. And, and I mean that for my personal life, my professional life as a child, listen to my parents <laughs> more than I did. But, you know, I think especially from a, a professional standpoint, you know, listen more as a citizen. Good Lord. Just listen to the people like, you know, when I mentor people now, you know, I have a lot of mentors and I see a lot of mentors that are like, here's the next book. I want you to read. And here's the next, next podcast you should listen to. And all of that is wonderful and good. And I've grown so much from so many of those things. But I tell people like, find the person that is having the impact on the company, the world, find them and tune into them and listen to them and try and figure out what it is that they're doing that is having such an impact. And then try and mimic that. And you don't have to do it exactly the way that they're doing it. Put your own flair on it. Great. But listen and, and watch more and and maybe just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> you put that on a bumper sticker. Keep your mouth shut. Yeah, let's just keep our mouth shut. Well, this next question I love because it's just a silly question, frankly, but I love hearing what people have purchased. I'm curious what your most impactful purchase you've made, you say, in the last six to 12 months that's uh, $100 or less. Oh, I wish I had a cooler one here. I was consulting before I came to work for Yonder. So I'd already set up my like home office and everything to be like high functioning. Like I had everything I needed to do to have conversations in any room and blah, 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 blah. So that was, I was kind of set with that. <laughs> Probably my best purchases. There is a brand out of Austin called Outdoor Voices. It's basically like activewear. I bought a pair of pants. <laughs> <laughs> from them they're called their rec trek pants and it's basically a hybrid pant that's not i am not in yoga pants it is pants but they're very stretchy and i mean like i can sit in them all day and be as comfortable as if i'm wearing yoga pants but then i can like run an errand or actually get out of the house and take a walk around the neighborhood and it doesn't look like i've been in yoga pants all day long they're the best travel pants 
ever. I got it. I love your your quick to. I am not in yoga pants. Let's make this clear. This is you're not yoga. I love the uh, infatuation that you or the the gusto that you delivered. That <laughs> I am a professional, Alan. That and <laughs> I bought my kids Fortnite Monopoly, and. They love it so much, and it's been such a great way to keep them just a little bit of time off of some sort of electronic device, and it's been a fun family thing. So if you're trying to like bribe your kids to play more games with you and do more in-person stuff, Fortnite Monopoly. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Well, two last questions for you and then more marketing related, so back to business, I guess. But really thinking from you as a, as a person... What brands or companies or causes are you following or you think other people should be taking notice of? Yeah, that's a big one right now. It's a huge one right now. And I'm kind of eating my own dog food. So much of what I'm doing right now is just listening. I have a network of people that it's like there's almost so much sharing of things to listen to that I'm a little bit overwhelmed. But there's so many authors, there's so many people that are spinning up podcasts and and doing things on their Instagram channels and things like that. Um, there's a woman named Layla Saad that I've been listening to. You know, Emmanuel Acho, professional athlete, has an Instagram channel where he's he does uncomfortable conversations with a black man, which have been so awesome to listen to. There's another Instagram account called Priv to Prague. It's an account for the show up movement that's been very enlightening to listen to, just really frank, honest conversations about racism. So there's more coming in every day. And then, you know, causes I care about, I'm, I'm super deeply involved with an organization here in Austin called the Andy Roddick Foundation. And I'm more proud of my involvement with them kind of than ever right now. They, God, it's a group that just works tirelessly for years now to kind of open up young, deserving minds to all the opportunities that they have in this world that may, they may not have known. So it's a number of schools around Austin that kids don't have awesome after-school activities. And during the summertime, they likely may kind of just be home with an older sibling or something like that. And the, the foundation does these amazing after-school programs during the, the school year. And then all-day summer programs during the summer where these kids are exposed to you know, of course, sports, it's anti-erotic, but that's like the smallest slice. It's world leaders and cultures and authors and science and so much STEM. And uh, they're getting so creative right now in how they're trying to support students at home. And I'm, I'm so proud of them. We're actually starting to get more involved statewide, actually talking with some school districts and helping, helping kind of guide them on programs that the foundation's already put in place. So very proud of of the work they're doing. It's awesome. Yeah, I love organizations that are using like gateways the wrong word because it always is associated to drugs, but like gateways of sports or, you know, activities to get other things accomplished. I think it's a great way, especially with young young kids and younger folks to to just take down the barrier of of learning or take down the barrier of expanding their horizons. So, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Andy's definitely using his powers for good. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, last question for you. What do you feel like is the largest, either you can either go opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Yeah. This is the thing I'm feeling. It's the thing we feel in conversations with all of our clients and just my CMO peer world conversations. And I think especially for bigger brands out there, 
just the requirement to be more agile than we've ever been before. I come from a startup world. I live in, in agility. And especially coming from, from so much of a digital background, you know, I, I was at one of the first online only <laughs> media companies in the world. Like I, you know, I started my career in a kind of marketing that is the most agile kind of marketing that we've been able to do thus far. But this is impacting the entire marketing organization. It's impacting the entire business. Going back to, gosh, my conversation, the conversation I listened to with the CMO from Walgreens, just God, the empathy I felt for everything their business had to go through in trying to understand how to pivot and serve customers differently. And in that process, having to communicate with them so differently through new channels in new ways to people who have not maybe even typically used those channels. So I think threat or opportunity, it's probably a little bit of both, but I think just the agility and, you know, we were talking about comms a minute ago. I do think it's a bigger challenge, especially to the comms team. When you look at the data, the technology, the tools that are in the hands of say the digital marketers, they're positioned to be incredibly agile. When you look at the tools in the hands of the social media team, they're positioned to be very agile. When you look at, at what's in the hands of communication orgs or even brand strategy orgs, there's still a lot of surveying or focus groups, things like that that weren't necessarily built to make them agile. A lot of that, there, there is a lot that is you know faster turn than some of those things. But I do think that we're seeing them slightly more hamstrung than some of the other parts of the organization. And they are so important right now. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I, I mean, I think this is going to come out like a plug for Yonder, but, <laughs> and you didn't pay me to do this, but like, you know, as you turn to social as, because those things you can monitor, right. Um, it so quickly and the understand the conversation, it's important to know which ones to pay attention to. And there's the plug for Yonder, I guess. Yeah. So. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. Thanks, <laughs> but uh, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a great conversation. I've learned a lot, frankly. So thank you. Yeah, super enjoyable. Thank you for having me. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.